Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we talk about the ins and outs of being a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, from opening the mission call to coming home and all the blessings in between. So sit back and enjoy the show. I started praying and I had one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had in my entire life. And I just felt the spirit so strong and I felt, you know, I felt the words like saying to me, I need you to give me all of you and you're not giving me that right now. But if you give me who you are, I can make you who you need to be. Welcome back. It's Jordan Nozak tonight. Um, Tonight I am joined with my cousin, Elizabeth Godfrey. Elizabeth, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, We're just going to jump right into this. So Elizabeth, um, well, first off, where did you serve on your mission? I served in the Adriatic South mission. So that consisted of Albania, Kosovo, Macedonia, and they just added Greece the past year or so ago. Albania, Kosovo. Macedonia. Macedonia and Greece. Mm -hmm. And Kosovo is a country. Kosovo is a country for most people. Some people. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Some people don't recognize it as a country. Like if you go on your app or on your phone and you look for a Kosovo flag, you will not find one. Interesting. But the United States recognizes it as a country. Interesting. Bill Clinton has a statue there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have a statue there? Because with the Kosovo-Serbian war, the United States did a lot of help. We have an army base out there too. Um, And so Kosovo loves the United States. They have like Bush Road and on the corner of it, you'll find the Clinton statue. Wow. They were really hoping Hillary was going to win. Aw, broke their heart. It did. Well, let's back up to before the mission. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I know you well and I know you at least well enough. And I know there was some significant change. So would you tell us who Elizabeth was before the mission? Um, I think the best way to describe that is naive. And that's going to be funny because some people are going to say I'm still naive, but I feel like I was really ignorant to a lot of things. I kind of was very caught up in my life and I loved my life and I like to have fun. Um, I didn't really have a ton of responsibility and I didn't feel the need to. So I just had fun and didn't really care much about anything else. Just enjoying life. Yeah. And what, when did you decide that you wanted to serve a mission? Um, it was probably around October of 2015. So I'd graduated high school and I had never planned to go. It was never something I wanted to do. And then as life does, things start happening and you start realizing that, um, life isn't just about having fun. And I was reading in the scriptures and, um, I just realized that I had a testimony, but it was a very like abstract testimony. And I needed to know for sure, like, is this like for real? Like, do I actually believe this or do I go off my mom and my dad? And so I started trying to read the scriptures a lot more and praying more and just putting more into the spirituality. And um, I was driving home one day, I think from my friend opening her mission call and the EFY medley came on, the uh, Sisters in Zion. And uh-huh. the Army of Healing. Yeah. Classic. And it, as it does, just pierces a soul. So... That's when I knew. That's a powerful song because I also listened to that in EFY. And then like years later as a missionary, I listened to it and it says, we'll, we'll bring the world as truth. And it's like, that was eerie. Like it was like a prophecy that we're all going to go on missions. Yeah. You get like the chills through your body <laughs> listening to it. Um, so what was your biggest concern going on a mission? Uh, I was really scared of like failing and having to. Like, what what do you mean failing? Like we have that like stigma. You're a good missionary if you have a lot of baptisms and like, what if I don't have a baptism? I'm going to like these countries that are pro, um, predominant. Oh my gosh. What's the word? Predominantly. Predominantly. Um, Muslim. And I was just like, what 
is going to happen. And so not the right mindset going into it, but that was what I was really worried about. Yeah. That's definitely a common, I'm glad that you, you use the word stigma that like culturally we need to change as a church is what we define as success. And it's interesting that you brought that up because we had, we've had multiple um, guests talk about that. Yeah. So you go to the MTC in Provo. Mm-hmm. How long were you there for? Nine weeks. And you said that there's, there's a couple languages spoken in your mission. Did you have to learn multiple or, or what language or languages were you learning there? No. So when you get the call, you are assigned a language. I was assigned Albanian. So I served in Albania and Kosovo. The odds of me going to any of the others were Not slim happening. to none. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there were others who were called Macedonian speaking, but we don't teach that in the MTC. So they actually had to learn Bulgarian and then go on the mission field and learn pray. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Albanian. So MTC, you're there for nine weeks mm-hmm. and you get on a flight and you end up, what, where was your first area? I went straight to Kosovo. So you go to Kosovo. What was it like getting off the plane in a foreign country, not being able to communicate yet trying to preach the gospel? Uh, it was... I don't even think you can describe that. It's almost like a haze. Like you don't feel what's going on because we, the flight there, I feel like it was so long and I took a Tylenol PM. So I was like, out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the magic pill. That's the one to take if you have a long flight. But so we get into Albania. I don't even know what time it is like for my biological clock, but it's like probably three or four in the afternoon. And you know, president does interviews So we're immediately taken out onto the streets of Tirana. Um, It was terrifying. It was so scary. They talk so fast. It's hot. It's just, there's so many dogs. It smells so weird. It was terrifying. And then when I got to Kosovo, if I could like imagine what a place would look like after a zombie apocalypse, like that's what it would look like. So many abandoned buildings, like broken windows, just old, old buildings from the communism era. Just. Yeah. Can you tell us a little, because whenever I like, and I'm the worst, but whenever I imagine like Eastern Europe, to me, it's like all the same. Like my imagination immediately thinks of like old Soviet statues and just like a concrete jungle in the cities and everything's gray and cold and snowy. Am I like even closer? Am I where? Because you said hot and dogs and. Well, okay. So every part is different, like every area. So like in Toronto, concrete jungles, like a pretty good way to describe it. They did have a president right after um, their dictator died and he spent a lot of money painting the building. So some are so colorful and have all these designs, but everyone was super ticked because they're like, we're starving and have no food and you're painting the buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Kosovo, um, I was in Jakova and it's a small, I mean, you could walk from one end to the other in like probably an hour. Like it was small and then it's fields like but then there's other areas that are big cities and Kosovo's more established than Albania. And so, you know, you get to Pristina and you'll have international people there. You get businesses. Um, so yeah, it's just, every place is different. They have old castle ruins, but not, it's not like Russia or anything too. It's not scary. Not scary. It's open and it's pretty. That sounds nice. Yeah. And you mentioned farms. What, what are they farming out there? Um, well, Albania is the lead cannabis supplier for Europe. So you get some of that. Hey, um, they have a lot of sheep. They, um, I think they do a lot of crops, but for the most part, you see people with individual farms. So people with, they have a lot of sheep, a lot of goats and a lot of sheep. Nice. And did you, was that common? Like, did you eat a lot of goat and lamb chops? And Um, I didn't, uh, I had to eat lamb brain once, but L- that was lamb brain. Yeah. But it wasn't my choice. It was the elders. They like tricked us into doing it. <laughs> we like had gone to a restaurant. It's my fault. I should have learned the word for brain, but they 
ordered, they're like, sisters, you got to try this. This is so good. And they ordered it and we're like, okay, like we'll get it. And we asked him, he's like, no, we only have one plate. Like, what do you mean you only have one plate? Like, what is this? We're like, what is this guys? They're like, oh, it's just meat. But like, that's like a valid thing to say there. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of meat it is. Like if it's meat. Like that's how a local would describe it. Like, oh, it's the meat. Yeah. So they come out and it looks like little chicken nuggets and they look so good. And we're like, okay, like let us have one. And they're like, okay. And you like put your fork through it and it's just like gelatin. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like chicken or anything. Like this seems odd. And the minute it hits our mouth, we knew. And it was horrendous. You knew you were eating brain. You're just like, oh, this is what brain tastes like. Yeah, it was so <laughs> gross. And we're like, how are you guys eating this? They're like, oh, it's so gross. We just wanted you guys to try it. Oh, elders. Yeah. So you mentioned wishing you knew the word for brain. Were there any other words that you might have stumbled on or or maybe had a hard time pronouncing right at the beginning? Um. So... In Albanian, honestly, to this day, I still like, I try to hear it. I do not hear it, but I like to tell myself that I can do it now, but they have a double L and a normal L. And so the way I like tried to figure it out in my head is it's like saying the word lollipop and the first L is the single L, la, uh-huh. and then the L in the middle is the la, which is a thicker L. But so the difference between that so there's the word y'all and that can either mean boy or devil so when you're pitching the first vision and you're saying joseph smith was a young boy you say that wrong and <laughs> it, it changes the meaning quite significantly yeah, that could, that, especially young boy and the devil try to get him in the sacred grove that'd be tough yeah it was but i think for the most part people knew that we just were foreigners what what advice would you give to someone learning albanian just go for it. Just All in. say it with confidence because the gift of tongues is nice because not only does it help you learn, but it helps them understand. So you can say full on gibberish and they'll be like, yes, I know what you're getting <laughs> at because they feel it. So don't worry when you're testifying, when you're speaking, just do it because it'll work out. Okay. That's beautiful. And you had mentioned, we, I, I, we were speaking a little earlier about maybe a miscommunication you had where you were on another side of town because you didn't understand a word or a name or something like that. Oh yeah. This was so embarrassing. Cause this was like at the end of my mission. Like I like, <laughs> I was proficient. Like I should have known, but I was with my companion and we had called this woman and we're like, okay, where can we meet? And I swear she said Coca-Cola. Like my companion, like we're listening. We're like, where is that? And we knew there was an old Coca-Cola factory but it was way out of our area. Like our area go through someone else's area and then go like 30 minutes past that area in the middle of nowhere along like the freeway type road. And there's an old Coca-Cola factory. And we're like, all right, like we'll venture. So we did and we get there and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you get there, there's no other building. There's no people there. And we call her, we're like, um, we're here. She's like, no, you're not. We're like, you said Coca-Cola. And she's like, no, I said Coppola. And we're like, you're kidding. And so we like went back and where she was, was like 10 minutes on a bus from where we were. (laughs) It was bad. That's the worst. But just to ask, you didn't have, you didn't have like a vehicle or anything. It was all bus and public transportation. Yeah. For the most part, like some areas had a car. Like if you were in Kosovo, you had a car in case you needed to get to Albania to get to the mission home, but we didn't proselyte with vehicles only to get to, like, if you had to go to a a village, you could take it, but mainly. And this might be another dumb question, but you were, you were a missionary, you were proselyte, you weren't volunteer or anything like that. No, we were missionaries. We had free reign. We didn't have any, we could talk to anyone we wanted. We could do whatever we wanted. Nice. So. Tell me about your experiences, like specific companions that you learned things from. (laughs) I got super lucky because, you know, they say like, if you don't have a crazy companion, you're probably the crazy companion. So I got lucky because I guess I was the crazy companion. I don't know who says that, but that's an interesting quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they say. And none of my companions were crazy. I got the best ones. Um, I actually got, it was funny. Um, I was trained 
um, by Sister Ling. And then she ended up leaving. I had two more companions. And then I got put back with her and my MTC companion in a trio. And we killed her or we were there until she, she went home. That's a, yeah. Yeah. We had to help some slang. people understand <laughs> when you finish your mission, they call it being killed or dying. Anyway, so Elizabeth <laughs> was with her companion when she finished her mission. Yeah. So it was fun because, I mean, you get close to your companions. Our transfers are 12 weeks. Whoa. You can have like intermittent transfers, but like. They weren't six weeks. Like a, I think most missions are six weeks. Yeah, most are um, like Hungary. You'll see they have nine week transfers. It's just dependent on what we don't have enough missionaries to always be changing. Otherwise, you're going to have the same companion every five months. How, how many missionaries were in your mission? When I was there, it was probably around 60. Altogether? Yeah, something like that. And how, if that. How big, like area wise, was your mission? Like maybe like end to end? I always, I always do hours driving like end to end. So, um, it was like by city. So like in Kosovo, me and my trainer, we were the only sister missionaries in the country. They had, <laughs> <laughs> they had two areas there. And one of the areas was close to the sisters. So we were the only ones there. Um, in Tirana in the big city, there's two areas. And then every other place, like the whole city of Berat, that's an area, the entire city. So of massive Shikora. areas. And- you, yeah, you never worry about crossing the boundaries you have free reign wherever you want to go wow yeah um so what 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 about your companions specifically like how did they help you become a better missionary or disciple of jesus christ well bless my trainer's soul i was i think i was the worst trainee that anyone could ever have (laughs) because i was such a brat like i got to kosovo you know, you come out of the MTC and you're like excited. You're like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to talk to so many people. And then you're put in a country where like in our area, they hadn't had a baptism in a year and it's, people are very, very Muslim. Like they practice it. Some people like more in Albania, they don't practice it as hard in Kosovo. They practice it. And I hated it. Like I hated just how devout and I, people were like, I just hated that no one would talk to me and I hated that no one would meet with us. And I hated tracting for nine hours a day. I hated it. And I was such a brat cause I was so selfish. Like, I'm like, I don't want to do this and it's cold. And I just want to like go back to bed. I'm tired and I can't speak this language. And in Kosovo, it's a different dialect. And I was already the worst in my MTC group with the language. So I felt like an idiot. Like I went, when I got transferred there, all like everyone was like, yikes, like good luck. Cause you're going to struggle. But, um, sister Ling, she was my trainer. She's from Norway, but she was a saving grace. She like put up with me, but then she also whipped me into shape. So by the end of my training transfer, we had ignited that that spirit that you need to serve and to serve well. And so she was just such a good example because she loved everyone, no matter what she, you know, they could do anything. They could be the most hoodlum people, but she would just love them so hard and they knew it. And likewise, she loved me and she, she just was my best friend. And so she made me want to be so much better than I was. And then my MTC companion, um, she is also just an angel. She could make anything seem good. And she would always make you feel good about yourself while helping you improve. So like you, what do we do? We complain. It's like, oh, I want to do this, but do we really want to change? Like sometimes not really. Like we just (laughs) want to complain. And she'd be like, you got this. Let's make a plan. And she was just so good. Like she's just always so good. And then. One of my last companions, she was the opposite. And I got terrified when I got transferred. What do you mean the opposite? Like, it sounds like your MTC companion, she would listen to you vent and then help you like make a plan to overcome whatever you were complaining about. More so she was just like a ray of sunshine, bubbly, sweet. positive and affirming that you can do it. Everyone around her, like total extrovert, 
just bubbly. And um, Sister Haggard, this other companion I'm talking about, we always joke about it because we both got the transfer call and we were both not excited about the transfer <laughs> call because we were in the MTC together. Um, so you knew each other well? Not, well, we were in different districts because oh, okay. my group was a huge group. We were 20. We like were half the mission. And so we were divided up. So I knew who she was, but the main thing I knew about her was that she would not speak English. She would only speak Albanian. From the minute she got into the field, she cut out all English with missionaries. Only time she'd speak English was with president. And I was like, you're joking. Like, I'm not speaking <laughs> Albanian at home. Like when I want to relax. Um, and she was a power horse. Like she just, you'll never, I don't think there is ever a more obedient missionary than Sister Hackard. Like to the T. She knew the white handbook. It was in her soul. But um, she would just call you out on your crap, basically. Like she was just like, <laughs> she wasn't there to coddle you. If you wanted to get better, she'd help you get better. But if you were going to complain, she wasn't there for it. She, it was more of like, if you want to change, then do it. But if you don't, then don't act like you're going to type thing. So, and she's one of my best friends now too. I just loved serving with her. She, she was my second toss companion. And I feel like she helped me end my mission the way I always wanted to. And I don't know if I could have gotten there without her. Sounds like she really put some fire in there. Yeah, she was the best. <laughs> um, what? So tell us about some of your experiences, some of the people that you were able to meet on your mission. Um, so I got to meet amazing people. Albanians are honestly the best. They're just so funny and so nice and so opening um, to everyone around them. So in Kosovo, it was really nice because while the work wasn't necessarily popping, you could make a lot of cool friends there. They were awesome. Um, one of the people that we got to work with a little bit, it was a family and the mom and the daughter were members and the husband was in jail and the son, he was probably 14 and he was hardcore Catholic. And, um, they were, the daughter was a little more active than the mom, but we started like, um, ministering to them mm -hmm. or home teaching, visiting, teaching. That's what it used to be. Yeah. Like going to visit them more. And they started coming and it was nice because we got to get to know them a little better. Um, but um, it was one of the most harrowing experiences, I'll say, and a very um, tender experience. It was one of the hardest lessons that the Lord taught me, but one that has literally changed like how I viewed life and people since then. Um, this was October 28th. I remember the day because wow. it was, it was a hard day. We had our branch Halloween party and we had some investigators there. We were excited. And, um, the daughter, she came and also the little boy, but the mom didn't come and everything was fine, but he was being so rowdy and just kind of he's 14. He's being a, a teenage boy. But I like, I got to the point where I couldn't like, <laughs> this is well, too much at a Halloween party. <laughs> well, it was more so like he was very Catholic, which is good, but he was kind of, he was hating on the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm like, you can't come in here and be a punk. And <laughs> this is the saddest part what it was, was he kept popping balloons and our neighbors hated us already. Like they, they'd shovel the snow and like shovel it onto our side of the apartment. That's where like the church was in a little apartment and he kept popping the balloons and they had already come and yelled at us for it. Mm. And so I finally was just like, I snapped a little bit and I like got harsh. I wouldn't say I yelled, but I was not nice. And you know, the party ended or whatever they went home 
And then we found out the next day that that was the night that their mom killed herself. And I remember hearing that. That that was a member? Yeah, the mom was a member. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that the next day and just feeling it in my soul. That one of like the last good nights of his life, like his carefree, innocent, like just young life, I had been mean to him. And I made him feel bad. And then he went home and his whole world changed. And I never wanted to make anyone feel like that ever again, because you never know. Um, And it was to this day, it like makes me emotional thinking about it because I just remember at the funeral seeing him and seeing just that innocence gone and just feeling so bad that I, you know, we're representatives of Christ and Christ like loved everyone. And I had his name on my like shoulder on my name tag and I didn't comfort and I didn't love in the moment that I probably needed to the most. Wow. That's terrible and sad. I'm sorry that 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 happened, but it sounds like you, you obviously learn, you know, the importance of, of a positive leaving someone on a positive note, like every time you meet them. Yeah. Cause I don't know. You never know when people's lives are going to change and why would we ever want someone to feel bad? Like even, even for a moment, even when we're mad, like we say things we don't mean, like I didn't mean to be so harsh to him, but I was, and it was because of my own pride. And so you just, you never know. Mm. What about, you, you had said there's a couple other stories. How about um, Dead's life? Okay, Dead is... And that's unique. Is Dead a, a male or a female? He's a male. Okay. So he wasn't, he wasn't like my convert. He wasn't someone I taught, the elders taught him. But in in our mission, the elders and sisters, we work together a lot. And so, you know, Dead would come to our ward and... We became pretty good buddies with him. We taught him what popcorn was and <laughs> showed him. So he's to, a recent convert of the church and. Yeah, he okay. is. He's, I mean, he won't hear this, so he won't get offended. Maybe 70 or 80. He's old, but he had one of the worst lives. I kid you not that I've ever heard in my life. So back in the communist era, religion was forbidden. Mm-hmm. No one, if you did, you'd go to jail. and dead went to jail. He was, I want to say orthodox. Um, and he was very practicing and orthodox Jew. Um, no, sorry. Orthodox Christian. Okay. Yeah. Catholic. I don't know. Orthodox. He he was a devout Christian. He was a devout Christian. All right. Um, that's going to sound so Greek Orthodox. That's Greek Orthodox. Yes. There we go. (laughs) but so he, he went to jail when he went to jail, his wife and his kids, like they dipped, they were done. And even like after that, I don't think he ever heard from his family ever again. They just totally left him. He was tortured in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, he had it so hard. Like when you think about faith being tested, like he had it and he never gave up that love of God. But, um, you know, the missionaries, the elders, they found him in a park. They taught him. He's the sweetest guy. So quiet. And he had nothing. He was, I don't know how he got his house. I, I don't know if it's even his, I think he might've just found it and <laughs> moved into it. But, you know, cause for his, like for money, he would go and like find cans and sell them and, he would, you know, if he found like clothes, like on the side of the road or in the trash, he'd grab it. Just wandering the streets. and Yeah. And that's just how he would make his living. But, um, the week of his baptism, he got robbed. And I think he had saved maybe, I don't know, maybe like 20 or $50, like a good amount for them. Um, And it was gone and it was all he had, like all his money he'd been saving. 
and we went with the elders to go help kind of clean up the mess of it. And we got to his house and he had stuff everywhere. He had so many clothes, so many shoes, just so many things. And we're like, dead. What are you doing with all this stuff? Like you have women's clothes in here. Like you have kids <laughs> clothes. What are you doing? And he's like, I find it. And then if I see people who need it, I give it to them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how he was. If he saw anyone that needed anything, he'd give it to him. He would give him the shirt off his back, the food off his plate. He'd go without to make sure other people had. And um, he was just so faithful. He loved God and he loved Christ so much. And he just lived that so hard. And he just had one of the sweetest spirits, you know, people you be around who just make you feel so good. That was dead. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Dead's my hero. Dead's everyone's hero. (laughs) It was like the classic district joke when, you know, we would talk about our friends, um, the elders every time. Well, dead's still kicking. And we're like, you guys are so dumb, but it was funny. But yeah, dead was the best. Dead's the best. And then you had also mentioned an unideal golden investigator. What does that mean? Okay. So well, have you heard the term golden investigator? I've heard golden investigator. Yeah. Okay. So like, just so people who don't know what a golden investigator is, you know, I heard this term when I was in the MTC. It's someone you meet who basically they... They know they're ready to go. You know, you give them the book of Mormon, you give them the lessons and they could get baptized in a week. Like they're just prepared for the gospel. A dry, we'd say Mormon, but now we say member of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints in that they haven't been baptized yet. But other than that, they accept everything. They're yeah, ready to go. Exactly. Um, and so I think, I don't know if it's just like an MTC belief, but like you want to find one, like you want to find oh, a golden absolutely. investigator. Oh, yeah. like man, that's the best. (laughs) And so it would be funny because we'd start teaching all these people and I'd be like, they're so golden. Like, this is it. Every person I ever thought that they never got baptized. They dropped us hard. And this one, her name was Marie and she is the funniest person I've ever met. The elders tracted her for us. Thank you elders. Um, they couldn't teach women. So we got her. So we went and met her. She used to be a Jehovah's witness, but they told her she had to stop smoking. And she's like, no, I'm not going to stop smoking. And so she stopped going to, um, you know, their religious services. And we heard that and I'm just like, oh, you're going to love us. Like, (laughs) you know, that's like my old, I feel like. Um, and so, you know, we'd start teaching her the lessons and, I'm like, there's no way this is going to go anywhere. Like, and I didn't even realize were it. You, when you were teaching lessons, were you like trying to skirt around the word of wisdom? Cause you knew eventually you'd have like to get there. Place at last. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone, well, it's like lesson five, right? Like commandments or something like that. Uh, yeah. But you can like, I don't know. You can move around like right. law of chastity and all that. You can use it to your discretion. So, um, yeah, we were a little worried, but we knew that she needed it and she needed to start you know, if she was going to get baptized because she uh, um, committed to a baptism date right away. First lesson, I think actually like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm here for that. And how was that as a missionary to hear someone like, yes, I will be baptized. Oh, that's the first lesson. That's the best. Cause it's scary. Like I always, I'm just like, you got this one, right? Like I remember the first time it's scary. What? Like asking the question, like posing it. Cause it's almost like, you're going to think I'm insane, but hear me out. Do you want to get baptized? Cause it's like, you're, you're extending this big step at the very beginning of a learning process. And I think it's intimidated. I'm intimidated, but it's like a leap of faith and it's what we do. Cause it's a goal. So her saying that we were like, yes, we got one. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you find out rather quickly. It doesn't always mean it's going to happen. So you're a little tentative about it, but, and well, okay. And I'm going to be honest. I was just like, yeah. Okay. Like the odds of you getting baptized are slim to none. Like you said that you stopped going cause you don't want to quit smoking. There's actually no way. So I didn't realize it until the very end, actually how prepared she was for 
um, the gospel. She would read the book of Mormon every time we got back with her. She's like, Oh yeah, I read this and this. And she would pray and she would even come to church. And this is significant because she was probably five foot two, probably 300 pounds. She was a short, stocky woman. She lived on the sixth floor of a building. They don't have elevators there. Just so Uh everyone knows. Like if you have an elevator in your building, you're packing some dough, like you're rich. And it, so it was like a journey for her. I mean, she smoked, she was overweight. Like it was hard for her to get to the bus and drive down to church, but she would come and, you know, she'd come in and she'd hack because her smoker <laughs> lungs, but she would come. And I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like she's coming. And when we pitched to her the word of wisdom and when we told her, you know, we know that we want to help you, you know, get baptized you got to quit smoking. You know, our bodies are sacred and addiction makes it so we can't have control over our bodies and it's not good for us. And she's like, I I don't know. I like, I'll try, but I can't stop smoking. So we would pray so hard every single prayer, Lord, help Marie stop smoking, whatever it takes. Well, that worked because she I swear she almost died. Like she got so, so sick that she was hospitalized, but she couldn't smoke because she was so sick. <laughs> and it helped, like that's how she stopped smoking because she got so sick, she almost died. And we're like, the Lord works in mysterious ways. But that was her only thing that ever held her back. And we never had to push her baptism date because she ended up being baptized on time because she wanted to quit. She had the faith to quit and she would pray and she put in the work and the Lord helped. And so like looking back on it later, I realized she's golden because she was so ready. She had the desire. She loved the Lord and she did everything she could to get there. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's funny that you mentioned that the people that you think are golden that you teach don't always follow through, but the, sometimes the ones that seem unideal are the ones that progress more. Yeah. Kind of gives you in that perspective. You can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. It's very humbling as a missionary. You just present the gospel to everyone and invite all. And yeah, you have no idea who's going to accept and who's not. Yeah. You just, and you just get to love people for however they are. Yeah. So going back, you'd mentioned coming to Albania and being in this country and feeling overwhelmed. And then you've, you obviously had success teaching these people. What was, what was the turning point for you as a missionary from Elizabeth who was naive and maybe a little self-centered to this powerhouse missionary that's having these successes and able to connect with people and just loving the mission. This was, have you ever read the Ricky Artie letter? No. What's it's the Ricky Artie letter? The Ricky Artie letter. Uh, Elder Ricky Artie. It's just, it's a. Um, Ricky Artie's all one last name. Yeah. It's a oh, name. Okay. I thought it was Ricky and then Artie. No. Yeah. No, it's his name. It's just a story basically about this missionary who kind of same deal, like goes in, we're prideful. We think we know everything. And he got this trainer, Elder Ricky Artie. And you know, he would tell him, oh, we have to wake up at 4.30 every morning. Like that's what president wants us to do for training. And, you know, he would tell him all these wild things and he would work him so hard. And he was bold to say the least. Like he'd knock on a door, people would open it. He'd walk right in. Like he was a missionary who feared nothing. And it's kind of, the story basically is just talking about how what he thought was a crazy companion and like he couldn't stand this guy ended up changing his life. And he had a powerful testimony building experience with the Lord from like the time he had with elder Ricciardi. But so I had my Ricciardi letter moment and it was in my second transfer. I had, or my second area, I guess I had just come out of Kosovo. And, you know, when I was with my trainer, it was, I felt good. And then after she left, I felt like I had lost my best friend. I was such a baby. Like (laughs) I was so homesick. I got attached. And then it's hard as a missionary because you're an individual and then they make you a companion and then you move around and 
you have to grow up so much on your own in a foreign country or, or somewhere that's foreign to you and yeah. figure out like who you are and what, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the people you get comfortable with are ripped out of you the second, you know, <laughs> you feel safe. But so I had a really, really hard time after she left and it kind of cut me back down to where I was before. Uh, I just wanted out. I wanted out of Kosovo. I prayed, Lord, get me out of here. Like I can't, I can't be here any longer. I wanted to get to Albania, like where people are happy. Like all my mission friends were happy and I'm like, I'm sad. And so I wanted out and I got to this area in Beirut. And when I got the transfer call, the way my companion described the area was Beirut will heal whatever part of you broke. And so I was excited. It's gorgeous. But I got there and I realized I still didn't want to do, I still didn't want to do it. Like I was still prideful. I was still selfish, you know, tracting still wasn't fun. You know, it wasn't the area. It was me. And I, you know, they say and preach my gospel that you'll know how the Lord feels about you. And he'll like, you'll know if he's pleased with you when you're serving. And I knew he wasn't. And we had a mission conference coming up and we had a member of the area 70 coming to speak with us. And our mission president always told us, write down a question and it will get answered no matter what it is. And so I remember I just wrote down the question, how do you feel about me right now? Basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we go to this conference and I don't even remember what was said. I know there was one part and it totally changed how I viewed my prayers and how I wanted to talk to Heavenly Father. But he kind of talked about how, you know, sometimes we get caught up looking at God, that he is like God, the powerful deity, you know. All knowing. Yeah. But he, not emotional. Yeah, exactly. Kind of we distance ourselves emotionally from him because we need to be respectful, you know, like we just don't know how to tread. But he talked about how sometimes we pray to God when we need miracles and when, you know, when we need guidance and wisdom and help. But when we need like help from a father, you know, we pray to Heavenly Father. Like in terms of you have your dad and then you have your dad who's also a doctor. And it's like when you break your bones, you're going, you know, to doctor dad. But when like you're hurt emotionally, it's just dad. He's not a doctor at that point anymore. He's just your dad. Mm. And it made me want to build that personal relationship with him. And I knew the way I was doing my mission was not going to do it. And I felt it. And I remember I went home that night and I went into one of our little side rooms and, um, it was just, I started praying and I had one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had in my entire life. And I just felt the spirit so strong. And I felt, you know, I felt the words like saying to me, I need you to give me all of you. And you're not giving me that right now. But if you give me who you are, I can make you who you need to be. And that flip the switch. <laughs> it just, it, it changed everything. And at that point I realized like, this is amazing. Like this work is so much greater than we are. And it's so hard sometimes. And it still sucks sometimes, but I loved it. And I was so happy and I loved everyone there so much more. And it made me just grateful for my savior and I felt so much closer to my heavenly father and my savior than I ever had before. Wow. That's beautiful. I'm so glad you shared that because I haven't like hinted at it, but out of all the people I've known that have served missions, like you definitely have had a huge change in the way you behave and the way you act. And it's like you went Elizabeth and you came back someone different and it's awesome. And I love it. And I think this was the moment that made you this, this new Elizabeth. I actually like, that's such a compliment. You know, you never want to come <laughs> back the same, but. No, yeah. you didn't. <laughs> I was, I was very impressed with your homecoming talk. And I was like, who is this? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's just, 
that's so nice how the Lord works for us. Cause you know, you go on a mission and they, you know, what's the mindset we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do this great thing. And I mean, they tell you at the end of your mission, the greatest convert you have is yourself mm-hmm. and the Lord, no matter how much we do for him, he always just does so much more for us. Just compensation to the extreme. We can never do enough for him. Cause he's, you cannot give the Lord. No, you give him a slice. He'll give you a loaf. Yeah, exactly. So reflecting back on your mission, what about the mission do you miss the most? Um, I've thought about that a lot. Cause it's funny. Cause you, you come out on your mission and you mentioned like it was hard and there were some things that you didn't appreciate. And then you come home from your mission. Like, Oh, I miss that. Like <laughs> those were good times. Yeah. Well, it's almost, it's such, it's hard. Like missions are hard. We know that. But there's things about it that are also so much easier than being at home. You know, you're closer to heaven on a mission than you'll ever be. You almost, or at least I felt like I had finally gotten back. Like being at home seemed like the mission. And then being on the mission finally felt like this is who I am. Like I love the Lord and I love serving him and I love his gospel. And this is what I want my life to be. And, you know, you get home and yeah, you still do everything you can to try to do that, but you also have to go to school and you go to work and you don't have that 24 seven focus. Yeah. You don't get multiple hours to study the scriptures peacefully. You don't get to step outside the world. Um, and so I think that's what I miss the most. I miss that, you know, I miss feeling completely myself. Mm. That's beautiful. And then we talked, we kind of hinted at your mission president. How has your mission president and his wife affected your life? So I had two, but I mainly served with one and his name was president Weidman. And is he American? He's Swiss. Okay. So, you know, he was amazing. I mean, they all are, Are, you know, you look at mission presidents and their wives or your mom and dad, but, um, there was a time and this was like, this was cool to me. It was a very humbling and a very like tender experience for me, but it also was so cool. I had been reading like a church article. I don't even remember what it was, but I felt like I like didn't repent enough before I came out. Like I felt guilty to the extreme. And, you know, it wasn't even like I had done super heinous things, but I felt like unresolved with the Lord. And I was scared to tell president because you never know, like, what if he sends me home? And I was terrified. I'm like, I can't bring this up to him. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was stressing for like that entire, the rest of the week. I think it was carrying a brick backpack. Yeah. And we listened to like, you know, you listen to these Christian songs like about like grace and the Lord carrying you. And I would like just cry. Cause I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I know I, I need to, but like, I'm scared to do it. And I was just praying. I'm like, I know that you need me to do this, but I can't like, I'm sorry. I'm too weak. I'm too scared. If this needs to happen, you got to help me. And you know, every week we write our mission president a letter and you know, he responds to us, he checks in on us. And I opened my email and I read my letter from him and his very last line was, if you have anything you need to talk about, let's work (laughs) through it together. And I was floored. I like looked, I'm like, sister Philip, let me see your email. What did president say to you? Like, did he say this? But like he didn't, it was to me. And that I was just like, oh my heck, like this is true. Like this works. Like you can pray for something and it really will come. Like that was it was just so cool. He was so in tune with us and with the Lord. And it was funny because that whole situation, it, I think it all ended up just me needing to be humble because when I went and I talked to him, he's like listening and he's like, I'm glad you talked to me about this. Now let's talk about the area book. Like, you know, it was nothing. It was just so easy, but you knew he loved you. And you knew he loved the Lord and just being in his presence, you could feel the spirit. 
he was a powerhouse of a man. Sounds like he had like the perfect, and I think most, if not all mission presidents have this ability to listen to and follow the spirit. Oh like, yeah. Like they, every mission president leads a little differently or whatever, but they all have that common ability. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the repenting because repenting, we have this like stigma that it's like this scary and it is like in the moment you feel overwhelmed and like it's a bad thing to do, but like good on you for talking, even if it was something minor, you know, and even like missionaries that come home from their missions because they need to repent, like that was the right thing for them to do. And like, we should, we should respect that. We should respect that. And we should be like, Hey, you're doing the right thing. And I love you for that. Yeah. That is, that's the ultimate example. Like when you think about it and it's funny because, you know, we're out teaching how graceful the Lord is. We're teaching like, no, like the Lord will forgive you. Like we try our best. We know we mess up sometimes, but the Lord loves us and he's graceful. And then we look at it to ourselves and we're like, yeah, so harsh. but here's this. Yeah. Like, and I think a lot of it is just, we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to the Lord that we do it. And we're embarrassed for the people that have to know about it. I remember, I mean, you know how it is. You refine throughout your mission and the things that you do wrong, they be, they're different every time. And I remember when I was with sister Haggard, my second to last companion, we had been walking down the road and some guy, he like said something mean to us. And I like turned around and I responded to him, not in a mean way initially, but I just kind of sassed him back. And then he sassed me back. So then I sassed him <laughs> back. And by that time, sister Haggard like grabbed my arm. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like thinking about it. And I'm like, what am I doing? I like, <laughs> I'm so dumb. Like, I'm representing the Lord. Like I'm a missionary. Like I'm better than to pettily argue with a man on the streets. Like, um, and I remember just going home that night and I was so frustrated. I was like crying. Sister Haggard probably thought I was a psychopath, <laughs> but like, I was just like, I hate like disappointing the Lord. Like, I hate that. I, like I've been here for so long. Why can't I control this? Like, why can't I do even these little things? Right. And I'm like, I just feel like why, like I repent, but it's like mocking the Lord. Cause I repent. And then the next day I do it again. And she told me, she's like, you know, the day that you stop repenting is the day you totally give up trying. And I, it like, it hit me and I'm like, you're right. Like as long as we're sincerely trying, the Lord doesn't care how many times we have to repent. He just wants us to, so he can help us feel better. It's not even about, you know, paying our dues or like, um, trying to like make I it must, right. By I must him. suffer. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's not even about that at all. It's about us feeling right with him again and being able to feel close to him again. It's all a grace thing. He wants us to do it. It's a happy blessing. We have to repent. Yeah. So thinking back about your, initially you said you had a fear of failing on your mission. What was the moment like when you thought like, Oh, I can do this. Like, this isn't like, I've got this. I'm going to complete my whole mission. Um, Honestly, I don't know if I ever got to a point. Like, <laughs> the like, last day of your mission, like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> no, like you, okay. You get to the point where you don't want to go home. Like I remember two weeks before I went home, I like woke up and looked in the mirror and I'm like, I can't go home. Like I was panicking, but I don't know if there was a time where I ever felt like I w was ever doing it the way it needed to be done. Like if I ever felt like I was giving all I really could if I was good enough. And even when I came home, I like had for like six or eight weeks, I really had a hard time because I was like, I didn't do it. Like I disappointed the Lord. I didn't, I should have done this. I should have done that. Like, why did they drop us? I should have done this different for them. Like, and then maybe it would have helped them more. And you know, that was always a constant battle, but then you know, that's just what Satan does. He tries to get, he tries to hurt our relationship with the Lord, thinking that the Lord's mad at us or anything like that. So I don't know if I ever got to a point where I'm like, I'm doing this. But the point that I realized that I was not going to go home was probably that night in Barat after that prayer. And then you mentioned coming home and having these feelings of like, did I do enough? Like, how have you overcome that? That's been 
quite the process. I had a really hard time coming home. Um, I had a really hard adjustment period and, you know, to be perfectly candid, like I, I go to therapy, like I started, you know, seeing someone to talk about it. And, um, I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're, you're not the only one that we've talked to that are like, yeah, I had a hard time. And I, there, we had someone else that is going to therapy and getting medication like it, it coming home from missions tough it is and if you need the help you should do it we're all scared to do it and we feel like it's a stigma bad about it yeah yeah but coming home is hard it's a hard adjustment and it's almost because you know you come back and people expect you to be you like who you were when you left like you know and I, you're not that person anymore i was carefree and you know i did whatever and then i came home you know i've never I've, I'm a pretty extroverted person. I do find socially. I like people. I've never had social anxiety. I had social anxiety so extreme that like I would sometimes be at school and I'd go to my car and cry inside my car because I couldn't handle it. I would hang out with my best friends who I knew loved me, who I loved them. And on the way home, I would just cry because I'm like, why did I say this? I shouldn't have said this. It just, it rocks you because you almost feel like you lose like the person you were and everyone wants you to be this, but you don't feel that way anymore. And then you can't be a missionary. So who are you? And it's hard. Kind of this identity crisis. Yeah. Hardcore. Interesting. So I don't, I can't really think of like a time, but probably I got home in January by May. It started getting a little better. Like it was just like a process. I met with a couple of my companions in between and, you know, we would talk about it, but I really had a hard time kind of letting go of that. Yeah. Well, if I can like give you like cousin advice. (laughs) One, you had a killer mission because I remember reading your emails and I was like, she's in a hard country and she's having success and she's killing it. And she has like this good attitude about the work and about like you caught, you caught the mission, like what it's supposed to do and what's supposed to be. Like it's personal to you, but it's, it's also preaching the gospel. You grow so much serving others and that's the byproduct of it. But someone, and I don't know if you listened to, uh, Zoe Johnson Buchanan, she was the Norway mission, but she talked about like, there's this grace with missionaries as well. I reflect on myself as a missionary later at the end of my mission, looking beginning, like, oh, like maybe if I had more skills or abilities, like these people would have progressed further. It sounds like you kind of had the similar coming home for your yeah. mission and it's like, you, it's all missionary work and it's the Lord's work. Like you're in the vineyard with him. Mm-hmm. And so his grace is sufficient. Like it's going to cover the rest. Just like you were saying with the language, like you just give your best and then whatever happens, happens like that. That's what needed to happen. And sometimes I think of the new Testament where I think it's uh, the Pauline epistles and he's like Apollo planted and, and Peter watered and he's talking about like how these people came to know Jesus Christ through missionary work. And we don't know what we did for someone's like conversion, but we had, as long as you had a positive impact, like it's going to go the way it should have gone. So you can't, you can't sit there and, and like second guess, like, Oh, like I was supposed to baptize them. Like you, like you were there in their lives for 12 weeks as missionaries and as members, like it gets so tough to say like, ah, they didn't get baptized in the time frame that I was there. Cause then it would have meant I was successful, but it's like, maybe their journey is like deads where it's like a 70 year journey. And we don't know, you know, as long as you play your part, but you, you don't worry about what could go on later on or after that, you just do, you just do your best. And the the hardest thing is your best is different than my best, than your companion's yeah. best. Everyone's best is different. Mm-hmm. And so you can't even subjectively objectively judge someone else's best. Yeah, no, that's very true. And so for like some people just to go on a mission was their best, like just physically being there was their best. Yeah. And, uh, no, I think, I think you did great. And I don't think you need to worry about anything about, you know, had you been more worthy or whatever. I think that's one of Satan's lies. If you can feel the spirit, what you did on your mission, then you were worthy. Yeah. No, that's, Thank you. Sorry, I kind of no. preached to you, but no, I really enjoyed that. I I don't know. I've had those same thoughts, and yeah, they're 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 damning. Like they need to they'll eat you up. Yeah, but no, I love Paul. I love his epistles, and I never really thought about it that way. Paul's the man. 
So looking back on your mission and I guess more about yourself, what's, what's one thing you realized about yourself that surprised you? Um, cause I feel like there's a lot that you've yeah. probably realized and learned like, Oh, like Elizabeth is, you have this, <laughs> there's something else in there. Um, I think I realized just how great people in general are and that there's so many good people and that I love people like not that I didn't before, but like you meet the weirdest people on your mission. Like you honestly <laughs> do you it's wild, but you know, you'll meet people from every end of the spectrum and you just realize that you love them all so differently. And that was kind of fun to realize that I really love people. I really do. And I didn't really know that before. Cause you know, I loved me. I like, I love doing stuff for me, but when you kind of get to go out and be around other people and, you know, even our English course people, you know, we teach English and I never had anyone I taught English to, you know, get baptized or anything, but I developed relationships with them and, you know, we're friends on Facebook and, you know, you just, people are amazing. Yeah. They're just, they're amazing. I think that's, that's a beautiful lesson that you learned that I'm like preaching for you. <laughs> like as if, as a missionary, if you can love the people, everything else, I feel like smoothens out. Like as long as you love it the comes. people, you don't have to love the work. The work's hard. Yeah. But if you love people, you'll do it for them. Yeah. I think that's like a good way to put it. It's like, like parenthood. Like I, I have a son. <laughs> so like sometimes I got to change his diaper. Sometimes I do, you know, whatever. And it's like, I don't love that process, but I love my son. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. It's very true. Cause you do anything for the people you love, for your friends and your family. Absolutely. So if you can remember this far back, remembering like your first day going into the MTC mm -hmm. to where your mission's gone. Like, is this how you thought it was going to turn out? Um, no, because I didn't think I was going to have such a, I didn't think I was so prideful. Like, <laughs> like, you know, you, you go in and you're like, yeah, I have a testimony and you, you're even in the MTC and you're like, wow, my testimony's grown so much. I've changed so much. And then you get in the field and life smacks you in the face. Like this isn't the MTC anymore. And, um, you know, going into the mission, I thought I had a testimony and I did like, I, I really believed it. You mentioned you, you thought it was kind of more abstract and maybe yeah. like kind of, I don't know, going through the motions, you, you know, you went yeah. to church and you had heard all the lessons. Yeah. You know, and people would always talk about, you know, this personal relationship with Christ and with your heavenly father. And I didn't ever get like, I'm like, you know, people say personal relationship. That's not really how I feel, but this must be it. Cause like, I believe it and I pray and like, I believe when I'm praying, I'm talking to him, but um, you know, I never felt, I never knew what that meant. And so by the end of the mission, it, it's concrete. And, you know, we had mission sayings, like commitments, we would say. And one of ours was, you know, to love the people and to serve so that we can see the savior face to face, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of getting close to him. And this was, this is one of, it's a experience I like hold dear to my heart. And I don't talk about it a lot, but it was one of the sweetest experiences I've ever had. Like with the Lord, I was just sitting there one night in my apartment. <laughs> we learned to cross stitch. I don't know what it is about sisters, but we become- Is that like knitting? Like Kind of. We become grandmas. It's so bad. I couldn't, I tried to learn to knit. I couldn't. So I took up <laughs> cross stitching. I was cross stitching, you know, this picture. That's with the long needles, right? No. Um, it's like with a normal needle and you like make X's. Along the way. I'll have to I Google it or I something. I mean, I have my cross stitch. I never like, is it in your car right now or Oh, I wish I should have brought it. I never finished it. Oh. It's like a half done picture of Jesus's face. Oh, you gotta like, finish that. It's like I need to. I just like I haven't for so long. And now I'm like it's tiny little squares. I'm like, where am I? But I was sitting there doing it. And you know, I wasn't thinking about anything. It was a fine day. It was just normal. And I was just sitting there thinking like how grateful I was that I like had come to know 
my heavenly father so well. Like I felt so close to him, like in a way that probably sounds weird to people, but I felt like he was my best friend and I would talk to him in my head all the time. And I just, I knew he was close to me and I knew he loved me. And I was sitting there and almost like a little prayer of like, I said in my head, something like our relationship has gotten so sweet and so like deep. And I just felt back. Yes, it has. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was so tender. It was just, that's like the only word for it. Like at that point, you get so used to seeing miracles and to feeling so close to the Lord that like those moments, they, you know, you don't get so caught up in like, wow, this is a huge spiritual thing. Like, wow, what an experience it's you're overwhelmed with like the sweetness of it and like how truly close we can be with heavenly father and with Christ here on earth. So, you know, looking back at it, I never thought, I didn't even know that was a possibility, but looking at day one MTC, me to, you know, end of the mission, me biggest change was I knew my heavenly father and I knew my savior and I knew them personally versus abstractly. They were a concrete part of my life. Absolutely. Especially after doing missionary work and serving with them. Yeah. In the vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Well, before we wrap up, would you mind sharing a brief testimony in Albanian? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Duata de Shmoeche dice Krishi Eshpatimtari, the Edice Kishanati Ash Rinjalar Katuna Tok, the Nese Ne Kemi de Shir, Potar Fruamata, Munta Kemiata Mardanya Shumevachanta, the Shume offer. Edi chimper chin che yuzu kreishinyaton edhe che ayinado edhe yam shumir nyose per ata edhe per jisko che ayikabar per mua. Beuntem kato jarat na emr te yuzu kreishit. Amen. Amen. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Thank you. That was an awesome interview. I learned a lot. It was a good time for me as well. Good. Well, for all you listening, um, Usually I turn it over to Zach and I'm trying to get better at how I close these things out because I always stumble. Um, no, but we, if you can like and subscribe and review um, wherever you're at on iTunes or on Spotify or whatever medium you're using, that would be greatly appreciated. And we hope to post again next week. Good night. <laughs>